Welcome to this week's podcast at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Welcome to Bergen Park Church. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you. Hey, just throw an opportunity out there if you want to. Both my wife and I, we kind of fall in the connector category. And so if you're new to Bergen Park Church, you want to connect to the church, we'd love to have coffee with you, lunch, anything like that to get you connected, to help you to feel more connected to this body and to the ministries, uh, please reach out to us. You can do that by heading over to the Connect Center or um, online. You can connect through that. Just send us an email. We'd love to, love to get to know you. Hey, if you want to grab a Bible, there should be one in front of you. If not, we'll have it up on the screen. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses, I think, 17 to 25. And let me share a little bit about where we are. We've been looking at a series called Emotionally Healthy Spiritual Disciples. Emotionally Healthy Disciples, really, or Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. Now, last week, Greg talked, our elder Greg talked about the importance of getting in Scripture. Two weeks ago, I kicked it off kind of talking about emotions and the importance of emotions and emotional intelligence. And for those of us that are not as emotionally intelligent, it's something pretty important to get in touch with. I confess I am not super emotionally intelligent. I didn't grow up that way, and so it's something I've had to learn to kind of walk into. And I've realized a lot of the ways that we fall into temptation and sin come out of emotions that are impaired. We don't know how to express sadness, hurt, fear, shame, guilt, gladness. We don't know how to express joy, and because of that, we our emotions don't simply go away. I know you think you don't have it. I'm not, I've heard people say, I'm not emotional. And I'm like, okay, that's not true. God has created you with a limbic system. You know when a kid comes out, you know, they kind of come out, they got the big head. You know the frontal lobe, your rational side? Pretty small. I think it's like 20% of what it's going to be. Your limbic system, your emotional side, almost 100% developed. Kids understand emotions. And what happens is over time, we transfer from the limbic system to the frontal lobe and we become 100% rational and we think we shut it off and you didn't. All you did was you suppressed it like a beach ball going under the water and you know what's going to happen, right? Something's going to go wrong and that beach ball is coming back up. And if we don't learn how to address our emotions, they become impaired and they lead to bitterness, they lead to resentment, they lead to toxic shame. And so two weeks ago, I'd really encourage you to go back. It's kind of a seminal message And today what we're looking at is spiritual formation. I want to get real practical over the next two weeks and just simply talk about how does change take place? Because often that's kind of an enigma for many of us. I know know God changes me. Now listen, he changes me through believing the gospel. But how do we practically change on a daily basis? And that's what I want to look at. Today I'm going to look at unintentional spiritual formation, which means just getting up and going about your day. That if you just get up and go about your day, you're being formed into the likeness of something. You're changing. Now, you may not realize it, but you are being discipled. You're creating the image of God to reflect God. And if you don't reflect God, you ready? You will reflect something. What do you reflect? And so Ephesians chapter 4 is going to help us out with that. You guys ready? Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to pick it up in verse 17. So Ephesians 4, verse 17. The word of the Lord. And now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. No longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. 
because they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of heart. And so they become callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality and greed to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as to the truth in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former way of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and then to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created in the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Father, would you meet us here? Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that you dwell within us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And as the word of God goes forth, it goes forth with power. And so help us in humility to receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, I'm on the wrong page. Looked at my notes and said, that's not, that's not where I am. That's not where I am. So if you jump back into this passage in Ephesians 4, he describes the old nature, which is who we were before we came to Christ, and then he describes the new nature. Two ways of describing that is the old self and the true self. All of us have an imposter self. I don't know if you realize that. You have an imposter. The imposter is there to protect you. And so you go through life and you learn to lie. Why did you learn to lie? Because that worked. Or you learn to be obedient. Some of you were really, really obedient, right? That's how you navigated life. I was more on the lying side. Some of you are on the, I'm just going to be as good as I possibly can be, and that's going to protect me from life. And there's nothing wrong with being good. I mean, that's better than lying, but there's an imposter self. It's not the true self. And see, Paul calls the imposter self your old self. That's who you are before you came to Christ. It's how you used to live. It's the stories you told yourself, the identity you lived out of, the values that you have. And he says, when you came to faith in Christ, you put off, kind of like you take off a garment, you put off that old nature. And now I want to put on Christ. I want to live in the likeness of Jesus, pursuing the things of Jesus, and becoming like Jesus. And so we've got to set off the old nature, and we've got to put on the new nature. And this is a concept that's, that's pretty clear throughout the whole New Testament. It's not just here in Ephesians 4. We also see it in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians 2 verse 12, Paul describes it this way. Philippians 2.12, he says, Therefore, beloved, as you've always obeyed, now not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And notice verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So two ideas. You got to put some things off and you got to put some things on. And see, the way that Paul describes it, Philippians, is you got to work out your salvation. Now, salvation is something God's worked into you. You are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. That's true. When you trust in Christ, you're born again, the idea is. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. And God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. But you got to get it out. you got to live out of who you are in Christ. And see, there's this duality between the effort i got to put in and what God's going to do. i got to work out my salvation, but it's God who wills 
and acts according to his good purpose, right? So where does change take place? Is it me or is it God? It's both. Augustine has this great quote that captures this. Augustine said it this way, without God, we cannot. But without us, he will not. Without God, we can't change. But if we don't work out our salvation, and if we don't put off the old self, it's not like you're going to be sitting watching Netflix and suddenly change. I mean, that would be wonderful, right? We've all had that prayer late at night. You're on your bed. You're crying. God, just, just change me. Listen, sometimes that works. I'm not minimizing that. There's some of you that have testimonies of overcoming addictions, and it was in a moment that God kind of came in. But is that the majority of our stories? Does God just kind of come down while you're watching Netflix or while you're at a movie or just hanging out with friends and just zap you? Listen, salvation begins that way, but he wants you to put that effort in to walk with him. And that's what Paul's describing in Ephesians 4. Take off this old stuff, guys. Now, what's the old stuff? If you read further on in Ephesians, you're going to find a lot of old stuff. If you have the Bible open, you look down like verse 26 and following, he says, hey, throw off falsehood. Don't be a liar. Don't be a thief. Be angry. He says that. Isn't that great? Someone like, finally, I can do that. <laughs> be angry, but in your anger, don't sin. So there's stuff you got to throw off. Is this rage or is this anger? You know what rage is? Rage is fear. A lot of you are raging in life and you're yelling at people, but you're so scared you don't want to admit you're scared. Does that make sense? And so you respond with rage. That's not anger. Anger is passion. You never want me to show up on this stage unless I'm angry. Because see, anger is want to. Anger is longing. Anger is dream, hope, and passion. I always show up on Sunday morning angry because this matters. And so there's things that we've got to put on and there's stuff that we've got to put off. And that's the process of change that God's at work in your life. It starts with salvation, trusting the gospel. Lord, I need you in my life. Forgive me of my sins. Come in and dwell within me. Holy Spirit comes in. And then there's a process between us and God where we are working in tandem with God in our efforts and his efforts to transform. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 also captures this. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. Paul describes change this way. He says, we all with unveiled face, we're beholding the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord is his weight, his majesty, his holiness. God matters. And when you gaze upon the glory of the Lord, it says you're being changed. Why do we read scripture? When you read scripture, scripture does something to you. As you read it, though you may not feel anything, God is at work within you because the spirit that inspired the word is at work within you to will and to act according to God's good purpose. And so he wants to transform us. Transform us, notice, into what? Into the same image, image of Christ, from one degree, so it's incremental, it takes time, one degree of glory to another, this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now you see that word transformation in verse 18? In the Greek, it's the word metamorpho, and many of you have heard the word metamorphosis. That's where we get that idea of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. It's a process of change, and that's what God's doing to us. He's changing us from the inside out, but the thing is, we gotta bring the ingredients, we gotta bring the environment for the Holy Spirit to work. And so what I wanna spend my time this morning talking about is unintentional spiritual formation, the stuff you don't want, 
that if you just get up tomorrow, watch Netflix, watch the news, go about your day, you are going to be changed. And I wanna talk a little bit about the things that are changing and influencing you. And before we do that, one thing we need to define is who we are. And see, the, the scriptures call us disciples. In the New Testament, the Greek is mathetes. It means kind of learner. But see, the idea of discipleship, it doesn't come out of the Greek world. It comes out of the Jewish world. It's what a rabbi did with his students. And Jesus expresses the concept of discipleship in Mark chapter 1, verse 17. It's a real simple place to go to get a definition of what it looks like to be a disciple. In Mark 1, 17, Jesus said, here's what a disciple does. He follows. So he responds to the call, come, follow me. And then notice, I will make you. You're not going to change yourself. Now, you've got to create the environment for change, but I'm going to change you into fishers of men. So three aspects. A disciple, really a great word for disciple today in our modern language is an apprentice. Think of what an apprentice wants. If you want to be an electrician, if you want to be a geologist, if you want to be something, maybe even a surgeon, right? You've got to go to school, but then you've got to get around some really sweet surgeons, some great geologists, some great teachers, and you want to come alongside them and you want to be with them. Have you ever done that? Have you asked somebody that's further on their profession than you are? Hey, can I just be with you? Some of them will become coaches. I mean, you can pay them, right? And hey, they come alongside you. I want to be with you. But listen, I don't want to just hang out with you. I want to become like you. I admire you. Jesus says, come and be with me and I will make you. I, you'll become like me, fishers of men. Because then that last idea of an apprentice is you want to do what they do. I'm not here just to get to know you. I mean, I love having burgers, love having coffee. I want to become like you so that I can go out and do the stuff you do. And then I'm going to take an apprentice and they're going to be with me and they're going to become like me and then they're going to go do it. And then that's discipleship. That's a Jewish concept. And it's apprenticeship to Jesus. You see, all of us are being apprenticed, discipled by something, some influence in our culture, and it may not be Jesus. And so I want to look now, if you guys want to put that image up on the screen, unintentional spiritual formation. And I want to talk about the influences that are impacting us. And part of unintentional spiritual formation, how do I know that I'm becoming like Christ or becoming more like the world? Well, let's jump to Ephesians, uh, Ephesians, Galatians 5 real quick. And this will be back up there. Don't worry. I'm going to have it up here the whole time. Uh, uh, Galatians chapter 5. There are two fruits of the spirit or fruits of the flesh in Galatians, if you guys want to put that up. Galatians 5.19. And in Galatians 5.19, two descriptions of a way of life. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And then verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, will you guys put that image up side by side so we can see, there it is. So the acts of the sinful nature. Now, here's what we tend to do. We start out in our faith and we're like, okay, we got to get rid of sexual immorality. That's a big rock. Okay, pornography, we got to deal with that. If you haven't dealt with that, come talk to us. This is a space of grace, but we got to deal with that, right? So we deal with the big stuff. And so you come to faith and you start dealing with impurity, sensuality, idolatry, 
sorcery, false teaching. And then when you get down to the end, right, drunkenness and orgies, that's the big stuff. Hey, we know we can't live like that. But do you see all the stuff in the middle? Notice how it's all on the same list? We tend to ignore that in the church. We kind of do. It's okay if there's angry people in here. We don't mind that, right? A few ragers from time or time again. People that don't treat each other well. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Rivalries. You build factions, rivalries around ideas and people. And then there's bitterness and infighting. You ever heard churches splitting? Is that uncommon? That's not uncommon at all. What fuels that? It's not the spirit. It's the unintentional spiritual formation side of life. That you are listening to stories, you're cultivating habits, you're building relationships that are either producing this left side or you're producing the right side. Now listen, this is a process of growth, so both are mixed in together, right? We're not, this is not black and white. It's incremental growth. But if you looked at your life right now and you looked at this last week, do you find envy, jealousy kind of fueling you, driving you? Looking at what other people have, man, I wish I had a family like that. Gosh, I look at those family vacation pictures and I'm always like, they always seem so happy. Why can't we be happy like that, right? And you're like, look at these beautiful locations. It's like a perfect picture. Like you don't realize that everyone's screaming right before they took the picture, right? You know that's happening. And everything was falling apart that morning. But boy, you guys look beautiful in all your white matching shirts. And I feel that. Because that's a story. As I go to your Facebook and your Instagram, you're feeding me a gospel. If you had my life, you would be happy. Jealousy. Fits of anger. How many of you respond? The news. Fits of anger. A story. You're being fed a story in life, and it's producing fruit. And so what is producing those things? If you want to put that next image up, that slide, unintentional spiritual formation, here are the factors that are changing you right now. The stories you believe, the habits that you have, the relationships you're living with, and then the environments that you're in. So I want to look at these real quick. First of all, I want to talk about the stories that we believe. The first thing that influences us, and we go back to, back to Ephesians 4, we're going to see Paul addressing this in this passage. Verse 17. Watch this. He says, now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk, which means to live like the Gentiles. Now, how do they live? They live with the wrong stories. You notice that? Futility of the mind. That's a worldview. All of us as human beings, we are created to see connections. I mean, we will see patterns where there are not patterns. You ever studied that, looked into it? We will find patterns and things where there's, listen, there's no pattern here. But we will find it because we are created to find meaning in chaos and in systems. And a worldview is a way of making sense out of the world. And the stories you believe, they influence how you live. Let's just take COVID. I know it's controversial. But can we talk, are we mature enough to talk about COVID? The way people engaged in COVID, can we admit it was very different? I mean, the way people responded to those things, I don't even want to say the word, that go over your face. I got PTSD right now. It was based on stories. Now, I'm not talking about whether they're true or false. That's not what I'm I'm describing. I want you to see the impact that stories have on behavior. And how those stories impact your behavior. The question we often don't ask is, what does the gospel say about it? 
I mean, when it comes to COVID, I, I know what my politician says and your politician and your doctor and my doctor, we all have that really confusing to me. I care what Jesus says. I care what Paul says, be winsome to all. Love your neighbor as yourself, as if you held their same beliefs, how would you be loved? That's how I approach it. But can we agree that all of us responded differently based on the stories we believed? And that really created these divisions, didn't it? Now, was that driven by behavior or was it driven by stories? Stories. Stories influence your behavior. What stories, if you could ask the question, what stories are you listening to every single day? And remember that those two columns, bitterness, envy, jealousy? Okay. What stories are going to fuel love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, or envy, bitterness, jealousy, hatred, fits of rage? That stuff comes out of story. Our culture has a story, for example, about sexuality. The Bible has a story about sexuality. Our culture says sexuality is fluid. It can be used for, it's kind of like paint by number. It's like whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to do here. It doesn't have a purpose. That's what our culture says. Now, there's a lot in our culture who are saying consent culture is destroying young men and women. This is secular people, guys. And we, as Christians, we got to jump on board and go, okay, yes, that's good. That's good. That's good that we see that. Because the consent culture in our society is destroying men and women who are practicing consensually in sex, but then they're going to therapists and saying, man, that really messed me up. You know what therapists start asking? wow, there must be a purpose behind our sexuality. And it's interesting to see our culture kind of start asking questions it can't answer. Because what's the purpose of sexuality in our culture? It's just fun. It's just fun until you destroy your life. It's just fun until you try something and you realize that what you tried has harmed you deeply and now you're carrying these emotional wounds, but you should be okay with it because your friend was okay with it, everybody else okay with it, but I'm completely damaged. Our culture has a story about sexuality. The Bible is a story about sexuality. It says sexuality, we actually, as Christians, we, we hold sexuality, I think, higher than the rest of the culture. That's how we approach it. It's like fire. Fire is beautiful, strong. But if you just release fire into the world, it's going to destroy. But of its proper location and place and purpose, it brings life and vitality. And so those are two different stories, right? And would you agree that those stories are going to result in different ways of living? Sex is just something you do. I play ping pong, I eat ice cream, I have sex. Or sex is reserved for the covenant of marriage. It's something that is intended to connect two souls together, become one flesh, and to glorify God. Wow. Depending on which story you believe, you're going to live a different life. So can we admit stories? That's all I'm trying to say. Stories change us. And Paul's saying, watch out. The Gentiles, they have all these stories, these ways of seeing the world. I don't want you to walk in that. And, and listen, all your news outlets, they have stories. You can listen and learn, but don't walk in that. Which stories have the greater power of your life? Okay, so that's first. Stories impact us, and I think we all kind of see that. The second thing that we need to wrestle with is habits. Habits, there's a book, The Power of Habits. New York Times bestseller for like months and months. Because habits, the more research they do, it literally shapes your life. What you do does something to you. And I want you to allow that to sit in. When you do something and you do it repetitively, it does something to you. It's not, it's not as if you do things and it doesn't have an impact on you. It impacts you. And so Paul talks about this back in Ephesians 4. So verse 20. 
He says to these Christians, listen, as you look at the Gentiles, there's ways they lived. Verse 20, but that's not how you learn Christ. Those are not the habits I want for you. I don't want you to walk in the futility of mind. I know they have their own stories about sexuality, money, family, politics. Don't walk in that, guys. Walk in the story of the gospel. Now, what does that look like? It's verse 22 and verse 24. Two habits, put off, put on. Now, to put off means to take off those practices. Hey, I don't want to live like this. I need to repent. I need to acknowledge it's in my life. And then to put on my identity in Christ, to put on prayer. You know, Jesus assumed we'd all be fasting. Do you know that? He says that. How many of us fast? You don't have to raise your hand because I know it's like less than 20%. Most evangelical Christians never fasted in their life. Jesus assumed it would be an essential part of your spiritual development. What we want in America, we're such an addiction culture, we want the benefits without the work. That's what addiction is. Addiction is I want to feel the intimacy, I want to feel the, but I don't want to work at my relationships. I want sex without commitment, right? I want to feel better. I want alcohols and drugs without actually building good, that's what addiction is. It's the results without the work. And we don't, we, don't want to, we don't want to put the work in. And so what he's saying is the put on means we got to put that, we got to put that work in. Because to get the life of Jesus, you need to live the lifestyle of Jesus. Does that make sense? To get the life, love, joy, peace, patience, kind. You look at it and you say, wow, Jesus is under control. Pharisees are attacking him. He's just so chill. You know, he's drawn on the ground while this really serious situation is taking place. Because... He was, he was controlled by the Spirit. Why was he controlled by the Spirit? He probably prayed that morning. He's got community. James, John, I mean, they're a mess, but they're community, right? Hey, guys, remember when Jesus, hey, come and pray with me. Have you ever considered that Jesus was so in need of community, he took these guys who are a mess. <laughs> they're gonna abandon him anyways. I still need you. I need you to pray with me. How often do we do that? But if we want the life of Jesus, we gotta have the lifestyle. And you've got habits right now that are forming you. You know, I, when I was young, could never imagine drinking coffee. Now, I have to explain. Back in the 70s and 80s, now you know what coffee looked like in the 70s and 80s. Can you picture it? Nasty gas station because you know you got coffee like at the donut shop maybe that was like higher end coffee but most coffee my dad would get is like in this nasty pot and it was always high because I was little I'd be looking up and saying why are you drinking that nasty black stuff it didn't have whipped cream it didn't come in flavors it's like what flavor do you want we have coffee that's the flavor it's coffee flavor and that's what you got now, today, I understand why kids want coffee because it's got whipped cream and it's like, oh, great. But how did I grow to love coffee? Well, one was children. Children made me come to love coffee because I was falling asleep in the afternoon and I needed coffee. But then I met coffee lovers and they're like, Jason, Folgers, come on. And I'm sorry if you're Folgers people. I didn't mean to say that. And they would say, come with me, son. Come be with me. You following me? Hey, come over to my house. Let me show you, and they had the drip thing, and they're like, all this, it's like science or something, little tubes going like this. And then they would pull it out, and then and they'd give it to me, and say, hey, become like me. And then after about a couple of weeks, I'd be like, where'd you buy that? Do what they do. Discipleship. Over time, habits and caffeine, the addictive power of caffeine, I am admitting that as well. 
habits form me into someone who loves coffee. And right now you have habits, and often your habits, if I can be honest, they, they exist around <clears throat> they exist around this. And people are spending millions and millions of dollars to addict you. One of the habits I want to give you is scripture before phone. Get an alarm clock. We talked about this two weeks. Get an alarm clock. If this is your alarm clock, okay. But listen, then you're going to grab it. And then it sucks you in. Somebody told me you can put grayscale. Like, that's, really, that's good. But this is going to suck you in, isn't it? Oh, look. Look what my friends are doing. Somebody just texted me. That's great. Look at the news. Alert. Oh, weather's coming up. And it starts pulling you in. And those designers of these phones and apps, they're good. And those habits are going to form you. And when you do something to your phone, your phone's doing something to you. And more and more studies are going to be coming out. Habits matter. Habits matter. Do you guys see that? I think we got it. Stories, habits, third, relationship. Relationships. And when Paul is talking in verse 17, again, he says, Now I say and testify in the Lord. And then notice he says, You must no longer... Now, when we read scripture, often we see you and we see me. That's not who he's talking to. Scripture's written to us. It always assumes, and I wish it didn't. I'm saying scripture shouldn't do something. That's probably not good. Um, But the idea in our culture is we do it alone, right? So we read it and we think, okay, he's talking straight to me. No, he's talking to us. God assumes you're in relationships with other Christians who are listening to the story of the gospel, who are practicing the habits of Jesus and are building relationships and community with one another. Your relationships will shape you. I mean, the way I look at it is I look back at high school. Sorry if you're in high school. But in high school, I mean, all our buds, we dressed alike, and you could tell what group people were in back then, the 80s. You could kind of tell where you were, right? What music you listened to. I mean, the hairstyles at that time, they were horrible. Clothes, they're all coming back. I don't know why. Leave the 80s in the 80s, guys. It wasn't a good decade. I would prefer the 70s or 60s. Anyways, 80s wasn't great fashion. But you could tell, right, who you belong to. And I see it today with my kids, with their hair, or with the way that they wear things, what they pursue, the relationships you have, they're going to shape you, right? And Paul's saying, listen, the communities you're in, the relationships that are around, they're going to shape you. And within the church, can I say that not all people in the church are following Jesus? Is that safe? I won't get hurt for that. And so you need to make sure, even in the church, that you're around people that are pursuing Jesus. And they have habits about pursuing Jesus. That doesn't mean you can't hang out with somebody else and help them get involved. But realize, as we come together, what are we pursuing together? Because we can kind of have the culture club of the church, but pursue other things outside the church that are more important, that are really tying us together. And so we got relationships. What's the final thing is environment. Is environment. The place that we live And what Paul says in Ephesians 4, he talks about, hey guys, watch out for two things, sexual immorality and greed. You notice that? Because that was Ephesus. They had temples that were set up to the fertility gods, and so you go to those temples, you would practice sexuality with uh, temple prostitutes, and then after that, they would bless you to be fertile, and you'd go out, and there was a big center of commerce in Ephesus, and he's just saying, guys, listen, this is Ephesus. I don't want you looking like the Ephesians. I want you looking like me. Because see, whatever environment you're in, does Evergreen have an environment? Does it have values? You need to start asking when you're doing something, where does that come from? When you believe something, where does that come from? 
And in Evergreen, there's this idea, very spiritual. I think Evergreen's a pretty spiritual place. People love to be out of nature, and they will say, hey, I love to be out of nature. That's where I find God. Well, a lot of Christians do that too in Evergreen. Can we just be honest? I'm not trying to be judgmental. We do that. Where does that idea come from? Does it come from God? Or does it come from the world, the flesh, the devil? We just need to ask that question, that's all. So when you believe something, you need to ask, is that from the word of God? Or is that from the world, the flesh, the devil? Because you're in environments that are shaping you and forming you. So if you just go about your day, you're going to be shaped by something. Do you see that? The stories you believe, the habits you live into, the relationships that you have, and the environment you're in. It is conforming you into the likeness of something. The question is, who are you becoming? And for some of you, can I throw this application out and we're going to celebrate with communion you need to do a values, uh, I mean a values, a habits audit, to audit your day just for a week. You know, your phone will do that. I hate it. If you set it up that way, you can go review. I spent how many hours on YouTube? Now, I'm listening to the sermons, people. That's what I'm doing on YouTube. I'm listening to lectures and spiritual stuff. But honestly, I mean, look at your phone. Your phone will track your own activity. Are you brave enough with someone else to give that to them. Here you go. And then not only that, track your work life and just for a week and say, where am I spending my time? Just evaluate. We're not judging it. We're just being honest. This is to change. You've got to be honest about the place where you are. And if you're not willing to evaluate the place you are, you're never going to be in a new place. And so are you willing this week just to say, who am I becoming? Okay, what are the stories I'm believing? What are the habits I'm practicing? What are the relationships? What are the environments? Now, next week, we're going to look at how we put Christ in those places. And then we're going to see how Jesus changes it. So this week, who am I becoming? And then what are the habits? Let's do a values audit. Let's kind of look at our life and kind of see where we're going. Does that make sense? I think we can do that.